My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. This morning's message is going to be taken from the reading from the epistle of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Chapter 10, beginning with the first verse to the 13th verse. When I was a small boy, a very, very long time ago now, my grandmother came to visit us in our, our, our home in Oklahoma. She had to go and, uh, uh, my mom had to go out on some errands, so she asked my grandmother, hey mom, can you watch the kids? And my grandmother said, yeah, of course. Go for it. Have, go do what you got to do. I'll watch the kids. So it was just me, my sister, and my, I think my very small brother. And uh, my mom goes, and so my grandmother is watching us. And as young boys do, I got a little too rambunctious. And my grandmother said, Michael, you got to stop it. And I kind of ignored her. And she says, Michael, you got to behave. Stop doing what you're doing. And I looked at her and I said, you're not my mom. I don't have to listen to you. So my mom came home from her errand. And I thought my grandma was going to be cool and let everything go. But she wasn't cool. She tattled on me. And she went to my, my grandmother went to her and said, yeah, she told her the story and what I had said about, you know, I don't have to listen to you. And my mom said, oh, I'll take care of it. So she pulled me aside, and she, uh, I think in the bathroom, actually, just to kind of get some privacy, because it was a small house. And she said, son, and she proceeded to tell me, when I'm not here, your grandmother is in charge if she's here. Whoever the adult is, they're in charge, and you have to listen to what she says. Even if she's not me or your dad, you need to listen to your grandma. And then I got a spanking, uh, rightly deserved, for not listening to my grandmother. See, my parents had an expectation of how they wanted me to behave when they were around. And that expectation was also there for me when they weren't around. And even though it can be hard to navigate this when you're a kid, the rules, even though they're not always written down or even displayed sometimes by parents, there's something taught and there's something to internalize and to pattern our behavior by. It was an example for us to live by and to not adhere to these examples would cause us to experience the consequences of our actions. And it's interesting how, how kids learn by osmosis and things that they pick up in the home. Like, so I'll give you an example. I'll throw myself under the bus because that's the best kind, right, for you guys. The other day I was talking to Isaac and he said to, to, to me, and then he said it to Shantae too. We got upset about something. He goes, get over it. And I said, what? And then I realized, oh no. I say that to him all the time. When he's angry, when he's yelling about something, and he's like, ah, I say, get over it. And now he's throwing that right. He learned that through a bad example. And the way, we live, the way we live our lives often reflects 
the patterns that we've inherited from our families, but then also from outside as well. And I, I know these are silly examples, but I think it connects with the readings that we heard this morning and it puts a relatable face to it, right? Because as sinful human beings, we want to do our own thing. Even after God's good gift of the righteousness of his son given to us that transforms us into his image from glory to glory, we treat Christ and those he has placed in authority in the church kind of in the same way I treated my grandmother. Because there's no possible way that loving and kind Jesus would ever call me out for anything I did wrong or ever give me a spanking for, for something that I did. So the church at Corinth is very interesting. And there were a lot of problems among the people there. There were a lot of problems. And they wrote a letter to St. Paul asking him a bunch of questions. And then when St. Paul writes back to them, he writes back to them answering their questions, but then also saying things like, you know, I sent, I sent uh, Titus, I think, to come check you guys out, or Timothy. And he came back and he told, or there's people from the church there that came and found me and told me how insanely naughty you guys have been. And so I had to set all of this stuff in order by letter because don't, <laughs> he pulls the dad, right? Don't make me come to Corinth and sort you out. There's problem after problem. There are factions in the church and divisions in the church. Those who are baptized by Apollos are like, I don't have to listen to you. Apollos baptized me. And then the other people were like, well, I don't have to listen to you. I got baptized by Paul. And then somebody else says, well, I think Peter's better than Paul and Apollos, so I don't have to listen to you. And then some of them were like, well, Jesus is even better than Peter. Jesus is better than Apollos and Paul. I listen more to what Jesus said. And you know, when you go that high up, you can't really answer. It's like that person who's about to make a really terrible life decision and then you can't argue with them because they said, well, no, God told me to do it. If you talk to somebody and they said, well, God told me to do this and it's really bad, feel free to tell them, no, he didn't. And then send them to me and I'll sort of... Anyway, so he's dealing with lots of issues here in, in Corinth. And he, he pulls this example from the journeying of the children of Israel in the wilderness. And St. Paul's trying to rebuild the community up in, in love here. But he, he draws on the stories of the Exodus to highlight some important things for them. He talks about how they were underneath something. They were underneath and they passed through. So he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Right? So what is this a reference to? The children of Israel in the wilderness. And so notice here, right, he says, our fathers. He's writing to a Gentile church. He's not writing to a church primarily of Jewish believers. He's writing primarily to a group of Gentile believers, which probably had some Jewish believers uh, in there with them. And what he does is he takes the Corinthian church and he places them right alongside the figures of the Old Testament. So he's actually taking the Gentiles and including them by referring to the figures from Exodus as our fathers. He doesn't say my fathers or the fathers of the Jewish people sitting among you, but he says your fathers. 
So he's drawing them into that story of the children of Israel in the Old Testament, right? Because through Jesus Christ, all humanity has been reconciled to God. And what is needed is to be received into Christ's body of the church through holy baptism and then worshiping Christ with the gathered community centered on the Eucharist, Holy Communion, which we will be partaking of this morning. So the children of Israel were all underneath something. And in Exodus 30, uh, 13, 21, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. So they were firstly under, St. Paul says, the cloud. This cloud is the manifest presence of God that guided them through the wilderness and led them and showed them where to go. And it showed up as a pillar of fire by night, right? So they had, they had, they had shade in the heat of the day or they had air conditioning right in the daytime and then at nighttime they had a big pillar of fire leading them so they had warmth at night and this is God's presence among them manifested in a cloud and we actually see this cloud of God's presence throughout the scriptures right when Solomon dedicates the temple even though God says I don't dwell in a temple made of hands Solomon's like please show up anyway and God's like I tell you what I will and the glory of God the presence of God this cloud descends in the temple and then in Exodus 14.22, they all passed under something else as well, the sea. The people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, Exodus 14.22. The waters being a wall to them on the right and on their left. So the Red Sea, and if you want to listen to more about that, I did a sermon series, I think, what, last summer on a couple readings from Exodus. So you can go to our podcast page and check that out. But what happens is they get delivered right from slavery in Egypt they come to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is chasing them because he changed his mind because it's kind of hard to let go your entire workforce because then you have to do the work yourself. And so God provides a miracle. The Red Sea is opened. The children of Israel walk through on dry ground. The, the Egyptians follow them and the water collapses on them and drowns the army. Right? This is their deliverance from slavery. They passed through the sea. And St. Paul refers to them passing through the Red Sea as them being baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, right? So this is analogous to the Christian rite of baptism. It points us towards the Christian rite of baptism where through the waters we are dead and buried and raised with Christ, where we are clothed in Christ, where we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit sent to us by the Father through the Son. We are freed from sin and from death and they no longer reign over us, and we are free. And this, in the Old Testament, is a type of this. They were baptized into Moses, so into Moses, into the Torah, into the people of God, right? Through the sea, just as the Christian church is baptized into Christ. Then it says they ate and drank, ate and drank. So in Exodus 16, 15, when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And then in Exodus 17, 6, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So the bread from heaven, this manna, and the water from this rock are not just actual material pieces of bread and drinkable water. They are, but they're more than that. They are also, he says here, he calls it spiritual food and spiritual drink. Spiritual food and spiritual drink. Because the bread and the water that came from the rock, and the rock itself, right, St. Paul says, was Christ. 
And Christ identifies himself in John chapter 6. He says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So for the Corinthian church, right, so if, if, if the, the children of Israel passed through the sea, were baptized into Moses, were under the cloud, and then if they ate this spiritual food, this spiritual bread, and they drank this spiritual drink, right, so too for the church, we see this when we receive our spiritual food and our spiritual drink given to us through material means in the Eucharist, in Holy Communion, in the bread and in the wine. He's making the point that they are like the children of Israel who received the grace of God in Christ. Right? This is his point. He's uniting them to all of these stories of God's grace, of God's goodness, of God's act of deliverance for his people in the Old Testament. And he's saying, you're part of this group. They're part of you. You're one. But then he's going to build on that and say, but something went wrong. Something went wrong horribly wrong for them. In spite of everything, it says in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, they were overthrown in the wilderness. In spite of their mighty deliverance, in spite of their eating spiritual food, in spite of them drinking spiritual drink, in spite of God's providing and protection, they all were overthrown. In other words, the whole generation died. The promises of God that had been given to their father Abraham passed through his descendants. And then their God moves to honor those promises. That first generation to come out of Egypt all die and only their children receive the promised land. He says all of this is an example for us. He says in verse 6, these things took place as examples for us. Which is the title of my sermon today, by the way, examples for us. And so, because of what they did, after having received the goodness of God, what they did with it caused them to be overthrown in the wilderness. Right, there's this weird theological idea that, that's been kind of circulating around, particularly in American Christianity because of revivalism, right? Is this idea of once saved, always saved. Have you ever heard of this idea? So, once saved, always saved is essentially a, a greatly reduced, I don't want to say explanation. There's a, refor in Reformed theology, that's sort of the history and the tradition of this church. There, in Reformed theology, there's something called the perseverance of the saints. And so what once saved, always saved does is sort of like perseverance of the saints, but imagine if that's completely misunderstood and applied, okay? In other words, if you, at whatever age, in response to somebody saying, who wants to make Jesus their Lord and Savior, you raise your hand, you say your prayer, that's it, you're saved, you're in, that's it, boom, finished. You're in, and nothing can take that away from you. That once you make a profession of faith in Jesus and you really, really mean it, then you're eternally secure to be bound for heaven. And this idea really isn't scriptural because we have passages like this and in, and in the epistle to Hebrews, but we often live like it. Because he's essentially saying to them, right, like, look at what happened to them. He said they became idolaters. They worshipped false gods. 
right? Trying to control the true God through the golden calf. But today in, in confirmation, there's a, a, in the stained glass window up above there, there's a picture of the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments represent the, ten, the, the, the tablets of stone that the Ten Commandments, the finger of God wrote on them. Moses throw, 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 throws it down on the ground and it breaks because when he comes down from the mountain, they make the golden calf. And often we feel like they, the children of Israel thought, right, that they're just worshiping a lump of gold, thinking that it's God. But the way idolatry works in the ancient world isn't, isn't quite like that, where you make an, an image and then you worship that image thinking it's a God. That's not how idolatry, idolatry works back then. They would make an image, okay? They would make a golden calf, they would take a piece of wood and they would carve an idol out of it. And then what they would do is then they would attempt to, through like a prayer or whatever, they would try to trap right? Their God inside the image and then offer it food and, and drink and stuff like that and worship it that way so they could manipulate their God to give them what they want. Does that make sense? That's what idolatry is back then. So what the children of Israel are actually doing is what they're doing is they're taking imagery, making this golden calf, and then trying to use that as a means to control the very God that delivered them from Egypt. That's a no-no because you cannot trap God. You cannot cage God. You cannot make God do what you want him to do. This is, we could also maybe even call this putting, as Paul does here, putting Christ to the test, right? So it's almost as if, I hate using this, I'm going to do it anyway. It's almost as if the entire group of the children of Israel were like a Karen and an Applebee's who didn't get what they wanted on the menu. And they say, I want to talk to your manager. What are you going to do about this? My food, I asked for medium. I got medium well on my steak. You shouldn't have gotten medium anyway on your steak. You should have gotten medium rare, Karen. <laughs> Nobody ever says that. What are you going to do about this? Putting it on them to do something. You know, that's what it means to kind of put Christ to the test, what the people were doing here. And St. Paul's whole point is, he's like, through, through your idolatry, because that's still going on in, in the ancient world there, he's like, through your sexual immorality, right, which is a big deal in the Bible, right, through putting Christ to the test, which is a big deal in the Bible, and through their grumbling. And it's not just like, wow, you know, I had, I ate dinner the other day and I really didn't like these lentils. That's not very good. I don't think I want them again. That's not grumbling, okay? When the example of grumbling we see in the Old Testament is the children of Israel saying, remember when we were slaves and we were whipped and chained and forced to work in the baking hot sun all the time? We still were able to get fruits and vegetables that we really like. So it would have been better if God had never delivered us in the first place. Because all we have to eat is this bread that God is providing for us every single day. It would have been better for us just to stay slaves. That's grumbling. And St. Paul says, you are doing the exact same thing that they're doing. By all of these, these, these factions in the community, by all of the infighting, by the way that they're living their lives. They're not living their lives as Christians. They're living their lives as pagans, but still trying to be Christians. And he's trying to get them to understand that once you are in Christ, you are a brand new person. You cannot live like the world and call yourself a servant of Jesus Christ. You cannot go and do all of the things that culture tells you is okay to do if you're going to love and serve Jesus. Which is why Jesus even says, before you follow me, you have to count the cost. 
And he's telling them, you are in danger, y'all. But fortunately, he doesn't leave it there. Thank God. He says these things happen to them as an example for us. As an example for us. Because what we can do is we can read their stories in the Old Testament and we can learn from what they did. And then we can do the exact opposite thing that they did. And it'll turn out a little bit better for us. Sometimes we need to learn how to do the opposite thing. And that's why those stories are there. You know, I worked for a megachurch for many, many years when I, was, when I was younger. And one of the lessons that I tell people I learned from, from working for a megachurch for so long is I learned what not to do. By taking basically everything that they were doing, like leadership-wise and everything, and then doing the opposite. It's kind of what's going on here. These things are meant to teach us. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Okay, so we got to stop right here for a second. Has any, have you ever heard somebody say to you, God will never be able to give you what you're not able to bear? Have you ever heard that? I've heard that. I've even said it to people. God, forgive me. God will, God will never give you more than what you're able to bear. And then your father dies. And then your mother dies. Or you lose your children in an accident. Or you have a terrible car accident. Or you have a house fire. Or something really bad happens to you. And what does it feel like? I can't bear that. I can't bear that. God never, the scriptures never tell us that God doesn't give us something that we're not able to, like, we'll always be able to bear what happens to us. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says when we are tempted, we will not be tempted beyond our ability to resist. Because when that happens, God will provide the way of escape so that we may be able to endure it. We have this weird idea that, that being a Christian means that we are somehow, we somehow get a free pass from the terrible things that happen in life. And then when those terrible things happen, we get mad at God. Why didn't you stop this from happening? And God, when we are tempted, when we are tested, it might feel like it's beyond our ability, but he isn't. He gives us the way of escape. And one of the ways of escape is the opposite of what the children of Israel did. Are like living upright moral lives in service to Christ. By not grumbling and refusing the good gifts of Christ. By worshiping the true God. By showing gratitude to God for his gifts to us. Here's another one. Loving one another. That helps us too. Because brothers and sisters, when we sin, our sin doesn't just affect us. When we sin, our, our sin affects others. It affects those around us. Sometimes sin even creates systems that need to be destroyed. These stories are meant to teach us. They help teach us how to respond, how to react in times of temptation. And number two, this helps us to examine ourselves. Not by what we think is right or what we think is wrong. Or what our culture tells us what is right or wrong. But helps us to examine ourselves in the light of our own sinfulness and God's grace. God's mercy. In the reading from the gospel we heard Jesus healing a woman who was bound. Right? 
for many, 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 many years and he prays for her and she's liberated and she's freed and she can walk and move around again and the religious leader said, you shouldn't have done that on Sunday. Or sorry, Saturday, Jesus, because it's a Sabbath for them or a holy day for us is Sunday. You shouldn't have done that on Saturday, Jesus, because that's an act of work. And Jesus is like, you hypocrite. This morning, you had to take your donkey outside to get some water because when you have animals and you use them for things, you have to take care of them. And that's not counted as work. And now you're going to hold it against me that this woman who's a daughter of Abraham has been freed from what's been afflicting her? How much higher of, above a donkey is a woman who is of the tribe uh, of the people of God? A lot. If you're, who cares about this stupid donkey? This woman's been bound her whole life. She's a child of the covenant. That's why he calls her a daughter of Abraham. That means she's an heir to the promises of Abraham. And Jesus heals her. He heals her. Because he's good. Because God loves us. And doesn't want us to be bound. But oftentimes we think the things that will liberate us are the things that bind us. Because that's what sin does. So we need to learn to examine ourselves. Which again, which is why Lent is so powerful. Then the third God will make a way out. And the way out for us, brothers and sisters, is repentance. Is repentance. When we sin, when we mess up, the thing that the children of Israel never really learned was that what Martin Luther said, that the Christian life is one of continual repentance. It's our continual coming to God perfectly aware of our sinful tendencies, of our sinful nature, and saying, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for your grace. Please help me. Help me. And God will. Scripture says, the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. That doesn't mean that you can only fall seven times and on the eighth time, God's going to be like, no, you missed it. Sorry, that's number seven. Strike seven, you're out for good. Lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. No, it's meant to show that when we mess up, when we miss it, when we sin, we have an advocate, the epistle of Hebrews tells us, with the Father, Jesus Christ. When we come in repentance and in gratitude, we learn the lessons of our forefathers and our foremothers in the faith. And we do and we live the way that those examples show us. Put all of that together. Then we'll be able to examine ourselves appropriately, honestly, trusting in God's goodness, secure in the knowledge that whatever happens to other people, we will not be overthrown in the wilderness because the grace that God has given us, we not only share it with each other and others, but it's also something that we use to live our lives by and transform our lives in the pattern of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to whom is due all glory together with the Father and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have a few minutes, I'd ask you to go to gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We have some significant repair work that we need to do on our bell tower as well as some repair work due to a recent lightning strike. 
Anything you'd be able to help us out with, we would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to get a hold of me or you have any questions about what you've heard, feel free to reach out at our Facebook page, Zion Stone UCC, or you can check us out on our website, zionstoneucc.com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.